Greetings, this is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts 23, verses 12 through 35. We've been journeying with Paul back to Jerusalem. He'd been looking forward to this visit for many months. After visiting with the church in Jerusalem and meeting with the apostles and church leaders, Paul went to the temple with four other men who wanted to enter into a vow before the Lord, and Paul had been asked to pay for the offerings. However, before the week would end, Paul would be arrested through no fault of his own. The Jews had stirred up the crowd, accusing Paul of things that he was not guilty of. But as is so often the case, the crowd did not investigate, but chose to take the word of these deceivers. The confrontation became very violent, and they were beating on Paul in order to kill him. However, the Roman commander, Claudius Lysias, brought his troops and took Paul into custody. Paul was so eager to be able to tell the people about Jesus that he asked to speak to the crowd and he was given permission. As we've previously discussed, his personal testimony is an excellent template for any believer to use when sharing their personal testimony, being composed of three key elements, my life before Jesus, my encounter with Jesus, and my life now that Jesus is my Savior and Lord. As Paul was sharing, he, of course, mentioned the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and that Jesus had commanded him to go to the Gentiles and share Jesus with them. Once again, the crowd reacted with great violence, wanting to silence Paul once and for all. Once again, Claudius Lysias had come to Paul's rescue, and the soldiers had to literally lift Paul up and carry him into the prison in order to keep him from being killed. Claudius Lysias was very frustrated by this time because he still did not know why the crowd was so stirred up. So he decided to flog Paul until he would confess the truth about why he was there. It was at this point that Paul informed him that he was a Roman citizen by birth. And therefore, what the commander was planning to do was against Roman law. And all those who would participate in such an action would themselves receive the full penalty of the law. So instead, Claudius Lysias called for a special meeting of the Sanhedrin, which included both Pharisees and Sadducees. And if you remember, the Sanhedrin was the uh, ruling um, members of the uh, religious class of, among the Jews. And he had Paul brought to them in chains. This meeting did not go well from the very beginning. And so Paul wisely decided to draw attention away from himself as he knew that there wasn't anything that he could say in his defense that they would hear. 
Therefore, Paul said that it was because of the teaching of the resurrection that he stood before him that before them that day. Well, this topic brought great division within the group because the Sadducees did not believe in the doctrine of resurrection and the Pharisees did. The argument became so heated that once again Claudius Lysias realized that he needed to rescue Paul from the violence that erupted. Paul was placed under arrest while Claudius tried to figure out what to do next. When Paul was in his cell, our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him to speak to Paul words of encouragement with a promise. Jesus said to him, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Well, I love what Dr. H.A. Ironside says in his commentary on Acts regarding this. He writes, God is never nearer to his people than when they cannot see his face. He is never closer than when they do not hear his voice. He is never undertaking for them more definitely than at the very times when his own name is not even mentioned. Somebody has well said that God is often behind the scenes, but he moves all the scenes that he is behind. There are times in all our lives when we seem to be forgotten of God, times when we find it difficult to pray, times when we grope in the darkness and we can't understand God's way with us, but he is always near at hand. He's waiting to undertake for us. And he is watching over us, even when we are so weak and sick that we cannot remember his promises. In the book of Psalms is one passage which says, he remembered his covenant for them. That is a wonderful thought. When they forgot, he remembered still and remembered it for them. Paul had been a faithful servant of God for many years and he had patiently endured several uh, severe persecutions, trials, and sufferings. And there's still more for him to go through. So Christ, in his mercy, came to his beloved servant and spoke to him words of encouragement and the promise that he would indeed testify about Jesus in Rome. That was Christ's promise, and this is the promise that Paul held on to in the years to come. It would not be easy, but Paul had the promise of Christ that he would make it to Rome, and this is exactly what happened. Yes, the Lord knows what we need, and he will provide it at just the right moment. You know, for many years, Paul had a longing to travel to Rome, the capital of the empire, where the message of Jesus would have a worldwide effect. 
Whenever I think of this encouraging word, uh, this encouraging promise that Jesus spoke to Paul that night, I'm reminded of a passage in Psalm 37, which is a word of encouragement to all who have put their trust in Jesus. Beginning with verse 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. It is at this point that we will pick up the account of the rest of Paul's ministry journey. So let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 22, beginning with verse 12. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and elders and said, We have bound ourselves under a great oath that we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now you therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes. So when Paul's sister's son heard of their ambush, he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, take this young man to the commander for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul the prisoner called me to him and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. Then the commander took him by the hand, went aside and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him, men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the commander let the young man depart and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. It seems so odd, and yet so expected, that these men who promoted themselves to be such holy and righteous, God-fearing Jews would take a vow to essentially murder Paul. This was not a simple vow. They took among themselves, they took an oath among themselves 
that they would not eat anything until they had exterminated Paul. More than 40 men took this oath. And then they came up with a plan. This vindictive group came to the chief priests and elders and told them about how the vow that they had taken, they, they told them their plan, which would require the help of the elders and the chief priests. Their plan was to have the Sanhedrin request that Paul be brought to them again for a second questioning. And while en route, the 40 men would ambush the soldiers and kill Paul. Now remember, Roman soldiers were experts in warfare and weaponry. And to attack a Roman soldier in order to murder their, their prisoner? No, but their own lives in danger as Rome would, not, Rome would not tolerate such a violent action against its army, its representative. However, these men, the, the 40 and the Sanhedrin, were so intent on murdering Paul and ridding the earth of him that they were blind to the potential consequences of their actions upon themselves. And so the chief priests and the, and the the, the members of the Sanhedrin, well, they agreed to this proposal. However, they did not factor in one key truth. Paul was the servant of Almighty God. And Jesus had promised Paul that he would reach Rome. And as someone once observed, even the most careful and cunning of human plans cannot succeed if God opposes them. Just as the Bible says in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. This is the promise of God. Well, somehow the nephew of Paul, being the son of Paul's sister, heard about this plan and went to Paul asking to see him. When this boy told Paul what he had heard, Paul asked his guard to take the boy to the commander so that he could tell him about the plan. Claudius Lysias was very kind to the boy, taking him by the hand and drawing him aside so that he could tell him everything. It was at this point that Claudius Lysias knew that he had to get Paul out of Jerusalem, away from the plans of the Jews to kill Paul. Well, let's turn now back to our passage in Acts chapter 23, beginning with verse 23. And he called for two centurions, saying, Prepare two hundred soldiers, seventy horsemen, and two hundred spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on, and bring him safely to Felix the governor. He wrote a letter in the following manner, Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor, Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him, I brought him before their council. 
I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatrius. The next day they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks. When they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. As we just read, Claudius Lysias ordered 200 soldiers, 75 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, 470 soldiers in all, to accompany him uh, to Caesarea, where Claudius Lysias planned to turn him over to Felix, the governor of the region. While the troops were preparing, Claudius Lysias wrote a letter of explanation to Felix. Then they set off. And it was apparently a forced march throughout the night. They traveled 37 miles to Antipas for the first part of their journey. The commander must have thought that enough distance had been put between Paul and his enemies, so he sent a portion of the soldiers back to the barracks in Jerusalem while the rest of the soldiers continued another 27 miles to Caesarea and to Antonius Felix, the governor. Warren Wearsby tells us a little bit about who Felix was. He writes, Antonius Felix was governor, procurator of Judea. He was married to Drusilla, a Jewess who was daughter of Herod Agrippa, who left her husband to become Felix's third wife. She was the sister of Herod Agrippa II. The Roman historian Tacitus said that Felix exercised the power of a king in the spirit of a slave. Felix was also called a vulgar ruffian and lived up to the name. Dr. John Stott adds this, Felix ruled as Judea's procurator for seven or eight years from AD 52. He owed his appointment to his brother Pallas, who was a favorite at court, first of the Emperor Claudius and then of Nero. Felix was utterly ruthless in quelling Jewish uprisings. Though he was a freedman, he seems never to have grown out of a servile mentality so that Tacitus wrote that he exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. This was the man that Paul would stand before. This is the man who would potentially rule over his fate. However, even Felix was not in control of the events of Paul's life because Paul was the bondservant of Jesus Christ. And Jesus had promised that Paul would go to Rome. 
The Life Application Bible Commentary makes the following observation. From a human perspective, Paul made it safely to Rome because of imperial commanders and centurions and a detachment of almost 500 soldiers. But the truth is that Paul eventually reached his divinely appointed destination because God is sovereign and because nothing can thwart his plans. As someone has said, we are utterly safe and invincible until God calls us home. Focus on God's presence, power, and promises, and watch your whole perspective change. Well, Paul was brought to Caesarea, and he was placed in custody. However, once again, we can see God's mercy and protection on his servant. Scholars described his accommodations this way. Not only was Paul protected by an escort fit for a king, but he was put not in the common prison, but in the palace built by Herod the Great, where the governor had his official headquarters. And so, in the words of the Life Application Bible Commentary, we can conclude that God works in unexpected and amusing ways. God's ways are not our ways. Ours are limited. His are not. Therefore, my friend, don't limit God by asking him to do things your way. When God intervenes, anything can happen, and so much more, and so much better than you could ever anticipate. Let God amaze you with his limitless power and his creative plans. I'm reminded of what Paul had previously said when Agabus the prophet told him that if he went to Jerusalem, he would be arrested and taken away in chains. Do you remember what he said? Let's read it again. Acts chapter 20, verses 10 through 13. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am already not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. But he did not die. And Jesus made a promise. And now that promise was beginning to be fulfilled, step by step, day by day. Well, the Bible says that Felix read the letter. Scholars tell us that the letter would have been read out loud and that they would have also provided Paul with a copy of that letter. We can also surmise that what is recorded in our Bible is not the full text of the letter, as Luke is quoting the letter as it was told to him. In verse 25, the Bible says that, that he wrote a letter in the following manner which means 
that what is recorded in our Bible is the essence of the message, but not the complete text. Well, after the letter was read in its entirety, and after learning that Paul was from the city of Cilicia, which was a city in Felix's jurisdiction, Felix agreed to hear Paul's case once Paul's accusers arrived with their evidence. In the meantime, Paul was to be held in Herod's praetorium. While there, Paul enjoyed a certain amount of freedom. He was not held in chains at this point because as a Roman citizen, they could not place him in chains until there had been a trial and a verdict. So Paul had free accommodations in that thriving city and his friends were free to visit him there. And as we will soon learn, he will remain there for two years. And therefore that meant that for two years he was able to share Jesus with so many people, including Felix. This was always true of Paul. Wherever he went and under whatever circumstances he found himself, he was faithful to tell others about Jesus, leading them to salvation, teaching them the scriptures. I'm reminded of a passage in the book of Philippians which Paul wrote while in prison in Rome. Listen to what he said. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident in my, by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preached Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, let me conclude with this last quote from the Life Application Bible Commentary, which I think sums up so well this lesson found in our passage before us today. It says this, Thus, the platform was set for Paul to speak before the leading rulers of the area, recorded in the next three chapters. When God has a willing person, there will be no end to the places he or she can be used with phenomenal opportunities for effective work. The gospel was spreading by the sure, sovereign hand of God through his trustworthy servant, 
the Apostle Paul. My question to you then, my friend, is this. Are you willing to be used of God? Are you willing to be faithful, whether the circumstances are easy or difficult? Are you willing to be abused by the world for the sake of one soul that will be saved? What lengths are you willing to go to to be used by God in his kingdom and for his glory? Heavenly Father, these are sobering questions that we must all consider. And Lord, I'm reminded of the prayer of the apostles at the very beginning when the first time that they were arrested and beaten. Not only did they praise you for being privileged with suffering for the sake of Christ, but they also prayed for boldness so that they would be even more faithful to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. May their prayer become our prayer, O oh God, not just because it's in your Bible, but because it's in our heart, our heart's desire to be your faithful witnesses, to be bold in testimony, but to speak with lips that are seasoned with grace. Stir up a passion within us, O oh Lord, a love for those whom you love, Lord, break our hearts with the things that break your heart and remind us that the, the answer to all the struggles of the world are found in Jesus Christ and you have entrusted to us that glorious message. May we be faithful all the days of our life and we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, if you're finding these messages helpful and encouraging, or if you have a question that you would like to ask, please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. It's all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So until next time, my friend, be faithful to share the testimony that God has given you. What is that testimony? Oh. 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13 answers that question. It says, and this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus. God bless you, my friend.